Amen. Well, church, so glad that you are here with us. Welcome. If you are new, my name is Sean, one of the pastors here at Providence North. Uh, If you have a Bible, if you would grab it and open up to uh, the book of Colossians, we're going to be uh, continuing in our look in the book of Colossians. If you're new with us, that's sort of uh, the meat and potatoes of what we do around here at Providence is we take books of the Bible and we just walk through them verse by verse. And so we find ourselves in Paul's letter to this church in Colossae called Colossians. And so it's a wonderful passage we have before us this morning. Paul begins this, this section as he's continuing Colossians beginning in verse 24, and he says something that is, I mean, it's, it's countercultural, doesn't even put it into uh, the right frame of reference. It's almost borderline, like, insanity, what he says. How can he say this? Listen to what Paul says as he jumps in. Megan read it uh, earlier. He begins Colossians 1, 24. He says, now, Paul's speaking. Remember, Paul's in prison writing this letter to this little church that has been planted in this place and these Christians are gathering trying to worship Jesus, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. You rejoice in your sufferings? What? Like how could someone say that? Paul doesn't say, I endure my sufferings. I sort of, I kind of grit it out and just get through them. Paul said, he doesn't say that. God's word, the Bible says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Is Paul some kind of sadist or something? Does he just love pain? Is he that guy? I had a guy in high school that we grew up on the football team and he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And so every time someone got in trouble and the coaches would just start yelling at us, he would go, I did it. And he would take all the punishment. Finally, they caught on. He's like, Mark, you didn't really do that. He, would just, he, lo- he just kind of was like, I'll take the pain. I'll run the laps until I throw up. I'll hold a push-up position for three hours. Like, he was like, is Paul kind of like that? Is he like, I, I, I love suffering? No, I don't think so. Was he just so spiritual that he didn't care about the material world? And if suffering came, he just, he didn't even really care. He just, he kind of rejected all the creature comforts. He was just so consumed with prayer and scripture. He was sort of oblivious to what was going on around him, so he could just sort of waltz through it. No, I think Paul probably enjoyed a good hot meal like the rest of us. Paul probably didn't enjoy being in prison. He would have rather been at home. Um, How does Paul say this? Why could he say this? Why could he say, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake? This is not a popular message today. This doesn't gather a crowd. Hey, come to church. We're going to find out how to be rejoicing in our sufferings for one another's sake. Paul is saying this because he knows that joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. That's joyful sacrifice. Knowing what's on the back end of it, he willingly walks through that which is before him, knowing that that which he gets later is worth it. Paul loved people, seeing people come to Christ. He loved his personal freedoms, yes. He loved being home rather than being in prison here as he writes this. I'm sure he loved some creature comforts. But if he had to give up the latter to get the former, he'd happily do it, he says. In fact, I would consider it joy, Paul says. You rejoice in your sufferings, when you love what you gain through suffering more than what you are giving up through in suffering. 
me say that again. You rejoice in suffering when you love what you gain through suffering more than what you are giving up in it. And so here's the key. Um, without the love of Christ and the joy of Jesus in you and the joy of the gospel that he produces in you, you will never endure the suffering that he might call you into. You can't grit it out. Only God can give you this. Your love for Jesus, the joy of God's people, the joy of being a son and daughter of the Most High, and that which he gives you is worth walking through even hardship, Paul says. Without love, we'll never endure it. Now, we kind of know this to be true. Um, we, have, we could probably quote a lot of examples here, but I'll just use uh, one that came to mind is mothers in here, right? You look at all that it takes to bring a child into this world. There is physical pain. There is sometimes emotional pain. There is doctor's appointments. There's all this stuff, all this suffering, all this hardship, all this uh, sometimes massive financial burden, all of these things that just seem to stack up. And on the surface, it would be like, man, why does anyone want to do that? It just seems like so difficult and so exhausting and everyone's broke afterwards. And then it's like, it's just this litany of, and right, I'm just exhausted all the time. And all the things that pile up when you look at what it means to be called into this thing called motherhood. But most every mother that I've ever talked to said, totally worth it, I would do it again. And many do, right? Because you look at what you gained through suffering. My children, I love them dearly. In fact, I would give my very life for them because I love them so much. I would endure any suffering for them because they are of greatest value to me. And so a few um, months, moments, weeks, days, depending on the circumstance of suffering and hardship, it just pales in comparison to the joy that I have of having my son or daughter. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I know what's on the back end, and I rejoice in my suffering. I can sit here in prison and say, I rejoice in it because the gospel is going forth. Jesus is being proclaimed. God's people are being encouraged and loved. Families are being restored. Jesus is moving into the darkness and bringing his light to bear. This theme, in fact, of rejoicing in your suffering, though it is very unpopular, and churches don't often talk about it a lot, is all over the New Testament. You cannot escape it. In fact, it's all over the entire Bible. But let me show you a few of them in the New Testament specifically that talks about the joy that we have even walking through hardships and sufferings and why that produces and how that can produce joy. joy. Listen to this. This is just a theme throughout our entire Bible. Jesus says in Matthew 16 to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, you want to follow me, he says, Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. A cross is suffering. First Peter, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you. It's no surprise when this fiery ordeal comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says it's not strange. Suffering and hardship for the sake of the gospel is not strange. Don't be surprised. And he says this, which is crazy, Rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad at his glory. His glory, even when we suffer, 
is worth it, he says. Rejoice in that, that you would be counted to suffer like Christ. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, he says you're blessed. Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, listen to this, that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says, I count the sufferings of this present time unworthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. He has the end in mind. I count just what I'm having to walk through right now, the sufferings of this present age, unworthy to be compared to the greatness of the glory of God that is revealed one day and waiting for me in Jesus. Philippians, for it's been granted to you that for your sake, you should not only believe, but suffer. Paul says again in Philippians to this church, that's wanting to see the gospel bear fruit and move forward and grow. He says, it's been granted to you. It's been given to you. Almost like it's this gift. You've been given this gift that you can suffer, not only believe, but suffer. And he says in 2 Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner, but share in his sufferings for the gospel, for the power of God. Acts 5, they left the presence of the council these early believers, these apostles, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. Paul is writing um, to these first generation Christians, right? And he's telling them, he's saying, church, listen, when you are involved in establishing the work of gospel ministry, when you're the first generation, when you're on the front lines and you're rooted in and you're anchored in and God has called you to the hard work of pioneering gospel ministry in a new place with a new people, he says it's hard and you will likely face suffering and you will likely be called to sacrifice. But he says we can rejoice because God has us, Jesus has us. Great things are never built on ease and comfort, but they're built on sacrifice and endurance. We could have a whole leadership lesson on that for the next 12 weeks if we wanted to, right? And those are out there and those are true. And the same is true in the life of believers in the church. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, church, because Jesus is moving and he's growing in your midst and people are coming to faith. Families are being reconciled back to God. Darkness is being pushed back. Praise to Jesus. Paul says it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the sacrifice. This was a question being asked of Paul. Maybe you have this question as well in, in your life as a believer. Well, Paul, if you're really a messenger of God, if you're like this great apostle, if you're uh, this, this man that speaks on behalf of the Lord, like this prophet, this apostle, they wondered oftentimes, these churches, why are you in prison? Like, why doesn't God get you out of that? You're like God's guy, right? You're the apostle Paul. How come you're sitting in prison and he is reminding this church Verses 24 through 29 of chapter one is Paul's answer to that question of why doesn't God just bail you out? He says, no, I can rejoice in it. 
this sacrifice is nothing compared to the joy of knowing Jesus and seeing all of you come to know him and flourish in the kingdom of God. Church, so for us, what does it mean for us? Well, a couple of things. I think there's some parallels here. We are, as a church plant, a first-generation pioneering work of the gospel here in our community. Though there are many great churches, God's called us to be a new expression of the church here, which is why we meet in uncomfortable chairs and rented space, and uh, there's ballerina posters everywhere, right? (laughs) God's called us to it. There are easier places to go and be a part of a church I am not so uh, naive to think that all of you just don't think other places exist. You drove here on purpose, right? Why? Because God has called you here. Because God is doing something. And so when we serve, when we show up, when we sing, when we worship, when we give, when we are generous with our time, with our talents, with our resources, when we gladly give up the comforts and ease that are often afforded to us, And we say, no, we want to be a part of kingdom work here and planting a new work of gospel ministry that it would grow and be birthed out and fruit would be born out of it. We say it's worth it. Though we don't know what it might look like 20 years from now, God God calls pioneers to help do the hard work to say that his church will be rooted and established amongst the people that the glory of God might be proclaimed. And we get to be part of that. And so we can even rejoice in some of the sufferings or the uh, inconveniences that we can even have. We'd say, I rejoice in my uncomfortable chair, right? Because God's kingdom is worthy. I can even rejoice in my actual sufferings right now because I know that in it, in my suffering, I can say Jesus is better and it encourages those next to me that maybe are struggling to believe that right now. Rejoicing in our suffering, not just so that it's a badge of honor that we're so tough, but Paul says, for you, for one another. We, we, we get to rejoice in our sufferings because it's for each other. So what does that mean for us? We have to be open and honest. We have to actually be able to share where we're suffering. He doesn't say, I suffer in secret so that one day when you meet me in heaven, you will know. He says, I suffer now and I count it joy for your sake that you can see in my life that Jesus is better than even this trial that I'm walking through. And then he ramps it up a notch as if that wasn't like ludicrous enough for us to grasp and understand. He goes on and says this, in my flesh, so he's physically even suffering, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. That is a very confusing statement. Like, I read uh, six different commentaries, or 60 really. I started like looking at everyone. No one, no one can quite uh, give you a clear answer to this because this is a very confusing statement. So I'll just say that up front. But why would Paul say something like this? So some of my favorite theologians uh, believe that what Paul is getting at is this. That the work of salvation, Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, 
was final, full. He said on the cross, it is finished. So that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is not filling up anything that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is lacking. This is not what he's talking about. That is final and full. He paid for our sin. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. So what is Paul saying? Why is he having to fill up something that might be lacking or that is lacking, he says, in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church? Well, what a lot of theologians believe that Paul is getting at here is that Jesus' sacrifice is fully sufficient to save, but the work that he has given to us as believers is not complete until we take this gospel message and people hear. And as we go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, we will experience suffering like Paul. And so we're counted worthy of suffering, right? So we get to be a part of that which Jesus was a part of to bring the kingdom of God to bear amongst us as a people, Martin Luther famously said it this way, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. Carl Henry says the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. That kind of idea. Right? So Christ's sufferings are not complete, many say, in the fullest sense until we take the gospel and proclaim that which has been given to us. Um, A Romanian pastor says it really beautifully this way. Um, He says, Christ's cross was for propitiation. Ours is for propagation. I like that. Meaning, Christ's cross is for propitiation. That's the big church word for the forgiveness of sin. He took on our debt and gave us his righteousness, final, full, complete. And our cross that we get to bear is propagation. We take this great gospel message to the ends of the earth that more and more and more and more people would hear the goodness, love, mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross that conquered it all. And so Paul, I believe, is talking about it in that terms, in those terms. This is a hard message, no doubt. Um, no church planning conference tells you to preach through this verse a lot. They, this this kind of whittles it down a little bit, right? But suffering through the New Testament is the means by which God has ordained to bring salvation to the world. How do I know that? Look at the life of Jesus. That's why the prosperity gospel is so evil and wicked in its approaches, though they don't necessarily maybe even know what they're doing. No one gets up and worships Jesus when they see the preacher taking his private jet. Oh my goodness, wow, that's amazing, right? No, what really gets the notice of the world around us is that when even we experience suffering, we can still say, Jesus is better. I'll gladly walk through this because Jesus has given me so much and I can walk through even hardships. Even if he doesn't give me a million dollars, that's okay because he's all that I need. He's all that we need. We, we want it to be through prosperity and blessing often told, we're often, we often think. But Jesus says it a different way, doesn't he? Jesus looks at his disciples and what does he say? He says, as the father sent me, So now, looking at us, Christians, I'm sending you. How did the Father send Jesus into the world? Through humility, through suffering, through a cross, through service, through foot washing, through being with the least of these, 
not to the upper echelon, not showered with gold, not paved on a, a golden street everywhere we walked. Through suffering, Jesus sent, God sent Jesus into the world. He says, and I'm sending you in the world just like that. Just like the Father sent him. And Paul continues, he says, for this reason, I have become its uh, minister. Verse 25, is that up there? Um, he says, for this reason, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Now, I told you last week, or a couple weeks ago, I'm taking a Greek class in seminary, so you're gonna get some Greek stuff here. Forgive me, it'll go away in a few, few months. Um, I think the better translation for this word, uh, the word, the Greek word for minister is servant. And I think oftentimes, uh, and it's rightly translated because a minister is a servant. Um, but I think a lot of times when we read this in sort of North American church context, we read minister, we think professional Christian. Well, I gotta be a pastor or like a missionary or a, I gotta be on staff somewhere and then I'll be considered for this. So this is not the word, it's a common word. The common word for servant and so Paul says, I'm a servant of God. I'm the church's servant. And so this is for all of us. And so I want to ask just a practical question. Is this how you primarily see yourself, believer in Christ? Would you mainly see yourself as a servant of the church, like the apostle Paul, or a beneficiary of the church? Would you primarily come to church saying, what can the church do for me? Or do you come in and saying, what role am I supposed to play in this church for the expansion of his kingdom and his gospel for his namesake? Are you primarily a servant of the mission of the church or a beneficiary of the ministries of the church? Paul wants us to say, our identity is that of servants and ministers. We're called to this. We're in this together. I don't just go to church. I am the church the body of Christ for the glory of God. I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this mission, not just the beneficiary of the ministries. God has called each of us uniquely to lean into that. So God has, has called each one of us. He has a purpose for our time, our talents, and our treasures in the church for you so that for the sake of the gospel, we would even rejoice in our sufferings that we would be counted as servants of the most precious thing to Jesus, and that is his bride, the church. That's a wonderful thing. That sort of puts this whole like kind of consumer Christianity thing on its head, doesn't it? And praise God, our church is full of servants. I thank God for, for our church. God is, is doing a, a great work in that. And he's calling more people up into it. Now, I want to end our time uh, with a video. As I was preparing this, uh, a story kept coming to my mind. Uh, I, I did a, uh, uh, my church planting residency a number of years ago. And there was a, a gentleman that I met there. His name was Roger. And the church is the Austin Stone Community Church, who uh, Zach was a part of and I was a part of for a season years ago. And uh Roger's story kept coming to mind when I thought of this, I rejoice in my sufferings. And uh, Roger is, Roger's the guy, is a guy that is, 
willing and, and counts it joy to rejoice in that which God has given him for his entire life, and there's much suffering involved in his life, but he considers it a joy to point others to Jesus even in the midst of his suffering. And so um, Roger has cerebral palsy, and so he had, has had it since birth, and this is a little bit of the, the Austin Stone shared his story, and I think it's a powerful story, and I think it's a story that shows us that even in the sufferings God has given us in our lives, no matter what it is, God is doing a work in that on purpose so that we can point others to his great glory. Let's watch this video and be encouraged. God gave me this life not to waste it, but to use it. Roger is an incredible example of what it means to rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Did you catch what he said? Because God didn't give this to me on accident, but he gave this to me on purpose that I could encourage the church, believers and unbelievers alike. Stories like Roger make us say, Jesus is real. Only God could do that. Only God could give someone like that. That level of encouragement and insight and wisdom. Roger is an incredible example. I had the honor of knowing him and getting to see him worship in church, raise his hands, and even though he suffers, he says, I gladly will suffer because I know that Jesus is doing something that Jesus can even use my affliction and suffering to point others to the goodness, the majesty, the mercy, and ultimately the glory of God. Now for the rest of our time, I'm just gonna read. I don't have time to get through the rest of this passage. Um, but Paul continues. And he says this, and keep that in mind. Keep all of this in mind in light of what we just, just saw and witnessed Paul says, I've become the church's servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Just like Roger said, this is for the church. God has placed me here on purpose to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, the mystery of God. Who is God? What is he like? He's a mystery, he's clouded. Paul says he's now been made known through stories like this, has been revealed through the saints to you and I. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is this mystery? How do we know what God is like? How do we know what he is like in this world? What he's like for each other? What he's like? He says this, Christ in you. The hope of glory, Paul says. That's the mystery. It's now revealed. The mystery that was hidden for generations and generations is now revealed. And Paul says, what is that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, him we proclaim. Not just religious morals, not just relevant life tips that are helpful for a season but just die off in a few weeks. We proclaim a person, Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. And Paul says, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. And here's Paul's heart for the church that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil 
says, this is why I toil, this is why I work, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So church, just like Roger, even in suffering, even in loneliness, we've been given a great and tremendous hope. It was hidden for ages and ages and ages, but now we see it, now we have it, now we know it. God has come to be with us in Christ Jesus our Lord, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Jesus is even worth our sufferings. He's worth our sacrifice. He's worth our generosity. He's worth our service in our very lives. So like Paul, he encourages this young church pioneering this new work, this Colossian church. He says, count it joy, yes, even when you suffer for the sake of Christ. Why? It's for one another, for the building up of the body so that it shines and magnifies a light on the glory of God. And in doing so, others would see and taste and know that Jesus is good and he's right and he's true and he's beautiful and a broken and lost and dark world that we live in today. Let's shine the light of Christ as we go from this place. Let's pray and we'll continue to worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it encourages us. We thank you in places that it challenges us like it has this morning, Lord, that God, I pray for each of us that you would help us like Paul be able to say things radical, almost crazy sounding things like, God, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That we would know that all that we're walking through, all that we're going through today as we find ourselves in, if we find ourselves suffering, if we find ourselves struggling with loneliness, with anxiety, maybe depression, Lord, we know that you are even can use those things for your good and your glory. So God, help us have that perspective. God, I pray that you would do a great work, that you would help us believe that as we are pioneering and beginning a new work of ministry here in our community, that you would help build a culture where we can say, Lord, we rejoice in our sufferings because Jesus is better. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worth it. And so we'll lay down comforts. We'll lay down uh, rights. We'll, be, we'll, we'll lay down whatever it takes, Jesus, for your name and your renown and your glory to be made known amongst one another in our community and in our families and in our children, God. Do a work in us. We need your help. It's not easy, but it's worth it because of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing to him one last time, church.